Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with Connecticut-based top performers who represent the very best in their field and how they are making an impact in their industry and here at home in Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Claire Lapia and Frank Criscuolo were married on February 22, 1975. Claire was a registered nurse, and Frank was a musician who played bass and lead guitar. The two newlyweds, deeply in love, they wanted to be together as much as possible, and working together was the way to accomplish that goal. Claire loved to cook, and while they were both raised in traditional Italian-American families, each of them in a family of really good cooks and bakers, by the way. Claire's mother, Anna Biggio Lapia, was obsessed with eating delicious, fresh foods, homemade food with lots of fruits and vegetables, grains and beans. Eat this, it's good for you, she would say, or we don't eat foods with ingredients I can't pronounce were her mantras. Claire wanted to cook that way for the masses. She and Frank believed and still believe that eating really well is the best defense against illness and disease. And today, scientific research supports that. As the saying goes, mother was always right. Claire and Frank Criscuolo opened Claire's Cornucopia on September 17, 1975, just a few short months after getting married. The rest, as the saying goes, is history. And if you've ever been to New Haven, it's right there in the heart of the city on the corner of Chapel and College Street. It's a New Haven institution, and they were organic before organic was a trend in marketing buzzword. Claire Crisquello is still at it today, and she joins us to share her story of growing up in Worcester Square, how Claire's got its name, her undying passion for good food, and all of the lessons learned throughout the years of running her own kitchen. Joining us here on Upfront is Claire Crisquolo from Claire's Cornucopia. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Derek. It's really nice to speak with you. Same here, and I'm glad we finally connected. I've been to your Cornucopia many a times. I always ask this first question just to kind of get a mental picture. Where are you physically at this moment in time? Oh, me personally? Yeah. Oh, I'm at home. I'm sitting, I just got off the treadmill. So I'm sitting next to my treadmill. Okay. I'm in, I'm at home. I'm looking out onto the water and I'm home. Beautiful. It's my day off. We're closed on Tuesday. So Tuesday is when I get all my things done that I get done outside of the restaurant. Well, ah. some of the things that I do, or as I like to say, I work the restaurant and as opposed to cooking in the restaurant. I sort of work in the restaurant or run the restaurant, and there's sort of two separate things in a way. So Tuesday is like one of your favorite days, though, right? It's you know like what you get, it is. Yeah. No, I know, I know the feeling of the weekends. So it's like when the weekend comes for me, it's like, ah, okay. Well, I think for my staff, too, I love knowing that my team have this day off that they can be sure of every single week. And also it enables me to get things done. Like I'm meeting with a floral designer this afternoon. I'm meeting with our construction guy because we have a new shelf we want to put up. And so we get things done too. I'm having the HVAC vents all disinfected again. 
So you get to get things done when you're closed a day, which is nice. Very good. Okay, so we're going to go back in time before we get to today. Um, where did you grow up? I was. I grew up on Worcester Street in New Haven. Uh, my grandparents emigrated from Amalfi, Italy. Mm. At the time, it was a wonderful, delightful little Italian enclave with everyone from Amalfi. So we had the pastry shop. We had my grandfather's grocery store. We had, yeah, we had Libby's. I mean, Fortunata, when they were downstairs, I can mm. still remember that fabulous sweet smell <laughs> when you walk in the door <laughs> and the bell ringing. So we grew up in that neighborhood where it was a three-family house. And uh, my parents, my brother and I lived on one floor. My Aunt Rose and her daughter lived on another floor. And my grandmother lived on another. And it was all above a grocery store. Talk about an ideal situation. I mean, and all the people were amazing cooks. My grandmother, my mother, my Aunt Rose. Was just amazing cooks. So no matter which apartment I ended up in, I had something fabulous to eat. And I'm talking like homemade eggnog in the morning and fresh lemonade and, and Italian creams. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I didn't even know pudding came in a box until I went to college. So wow. I was I was very spoiled. I'm jealous. So you <laughs> uh, so Amalfi, like this the city of Amal or the town of village of Amalfi, right? Right, right, right on the Amalfi Coast. I, I was actually there before the world unraveled um, in 2019. Um, we were in Priano. Which oh, is my right, God. I love Priano. Yeah, right next door. So beautiful little, you know, fishing village, right? Not as crowded and touristy as Amalfi or Positano. But um, I just remember doing a lot of walking to get to our Airbnb in the hills. Yeah, we... <laughs> I love I love the entire Amalfi Coast. My husband and I used to go to the Amalfi Coast Music Festival every year. Oh wow! Uh. And, and you follow the trail of the musicians from Amalfi to Ravello, Atrani, um, Minore, Maioria. It's just wonderful. And one year we rented a motorcycle and we just went by motorcycle, which was insane. I can't even believe I did it. I had never been on a motorcycle in my life and never went on one after that time. Yeah, and for those who haven't been there. You know, driving around the Amalfi Coast is not for the faint of heart. No. There are, it's like cliffs with like, you know, maybe a guardrail or if you can even call it that. It's like a curb, right? <laughs> it's like an invitation to slam something. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it's if you haven't, to all your listeners, if you haven't ever gone to the Amalfi Coast, you must go. It has to be yeah. a bucket list. And the Lemon Gardens, and I've learned that. There are more than 40 varieties of lemons that they often use to make limoncello coming from Amalfi. Mm. Oh. And also one of the original paper um, manufacturer is in um, Amalfi. Oh. Yeah, so it's just so, it's it's wonderful. You have to go and it's just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you just reminded me of those Amalfi lemons. I mean, they're they're not like any lemon you get here. They're like, they're gigantic. Yes. And fragrant and just yes. beautiful. <laughs> yes, you've fallen in love. <laughs> All right, the interview's over. I'm going to go make some lemonade or something. No, yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> or have a, have a limoncello. Yeah, a shot of limoncello would be amazing right now. Okay, so you grew up in um, Worcester Square, and I'm familiar with that. Just a you know, neat little Italian neighborhood. Um, and it sounds like life growing up there was was exciting for you. Um, you know, but when you were when you were a kid, you were surrounded by all of this food, right? Which explains maybe what you do today. But what what were your aspirations when you were a kid? What did you want to do when you grew up, so to speak? You know, my my mother tells the story of how 
I used to sit on the, the stoop. And if anyone was alone walking by mm-hmm. and we struck up a conversation, I would always invite them to dinner. And so my mother said I was always interested in reaching out to people. She always said, you always want to make people have a better day. She, and she raised us always saying everyone has something to give, whether you share a smile. And food is, to me, I mean, the kitchen is the heart of the home. And food is, is how you show someone you care about them. Because if you care enough to prepare good food for them, you're saying you're showing how much you care for them, mm. care about them. And, and I grew up with that. So I think the, I always wanted to feed people. And even when I was in college, I also wanted to make people well. When I was in college and I went to nursing school, um, you know, we moved off of Worcester Street when I was just before I was six years old um, because eminent domain condemnation came through. They actually built the highway through our street. Mm, if you go yeah. down the street today, you'll see um, the highway entrance at the end of the street where our house, our house was at the time. Um, so we moved out to East Haven. And my mother told me that we were, that she told us that we were going to be, we were now going to be Americans. We weren't allowed to speak Italian anymore. And I never quite understood that. I never understood the rationale behind that until years later in college, I read a story in psychology today and the cover story was food fears. And it talked Mm. about, it talked about during, um, immigration of the Italians, um, social workers would go out to the homes in Boston. They used Boston as this example. And they, social workers would go out to the homes. And if they saw you still eating Italian food and speaking Italian, they would tell your, the parents, the mothers mainly, that your children would not be as successful. So what mother is going to hear that and not act? Right. So that was it. So we were purportedly going to become Americans. I don't know what we were before then, but we were going to be Americans. And so we, and we moved into a really wonderful neighborhood with Germans and Irish and Hungarian. And for that, and for that, it meant to me, Hungarian goulash, Irish stews. I mean, it was mm. all around food, but somehow when it entered my mother's kitchen, it ended up with some little Italian flair. Somehow mm. the Hungarian goulash had a little bit of maybe oregano or basil in it that I knew didn't belong because when I ate it over at the Funk household, it didn't have that in it, mm-hmm. um, but it was wonderful. You know, um, it was so nice because I got to know people through their food. And then I became fascinated with it. And when I was in high school, I would go to the library. We didn't have Google back then. Yep. I'd go to the <laughs> library and I would bring home cookbooks from other countries. And my mother would say, don't you want to cook grandma's food? And I'd say, well, of course I want to cook grandma's food, but I want to cook other people's grandmother's foods too. And that's sort mm. of what happened. And I think I just was destined. You know, I think I think the happiest people, the happiest people just follow their path. I think we're all led on a path. Mm-hmm. And those of us who follow it, I really believe are most happy and most successful. And those who fight it sort of flounder and kind of don't find their way with either a career or life in general. I see this all the time. Yeah. That said, I went to nursing school and became a psychiatric nurse because I loved making people feel better. And my thought was I would become the next Dr. Joyce Brothers <laughs> and, and just heal all the children. Um, and I think, again, you know, the things that you're exposed to really matter. Um, when I was young, my brother took me to a beach um, of a friend who he went to school with. My brother went to Notre Dame and one of his friends um, 
had a, his family had a beachfront property and they went to the beach and I went there and I would see these buses pull up and these kids would all come out in the neighboring land. And I would ask about it. And he said, well, they're kids from um, the children's. It was a children's. I think it was the boys village in Milford. Mm-hmm. And I asked about it and they said, well, these are kids who don't have homes. It's, it's an orphanage at the time. And I just, I used to always think about like, what must their lives be like? My mother instilled so much empathy in us. That's another thing. Aside from food and making really good food and eat this, it's good for you. If I heard that one more time, I was going to scream. Well, because when you're young, you want other things. I came home and said, Mom, Laura Miko has Chef Boyardee ravioli, and it's so delicious. Can we have that? And you would have thought that I asked her for, I don't know, drugs. Right, right. And she said, we don't eat canned ravioli here. She yeah. said, if you want ravioli, we'll make ravioli, but we don't eat canned ravioli. And uh, I, whoa. Talk about homemade food, though, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> where, I mean, yeah. So, you mentioned you you know went to college, nursing. Where, where did you go to college? University or, of Bridgeport, School of Nursing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I was a psych major for a while, and then I went to nursing school because I thought I would – first, I thought I would be a psychologist and be Dr. Joyce Brothers. And mm. then I just – I didn't want to go to school for that long. And then I actually thought I would be a social worker because then I could still help people. Mm-hmm. And then I, I really think I chose nursing as the default just because I had to, my brother Billy was calling me a college drop-in. And I <laughs> thought I had to, I should finish something. And I thought, well, I'll become a nurse and then I can learn about nutrition. I can learn about, you know, making people well. Yeah. Um, and I became a psychiatric nurse, actually. And my first job was at the Connecticut Mental Health Center on the drug and alcohol program. So, but still, I was cooking. And my mother was giving me all advice for how to heal people through all of nursing school. Have you tried a little honey? Did you try putting a little warm olive oil on their ear, on the outside of their ear with a hot cloth? And I'm like, mom, I can't come there with old wives' tales. I'll get kicked out of school. Right, right. And today we know that these old wives' tales matter, like bay leaf tea for menstrual cramps. It makes you feel better. My staff still ask me for it. Yep. Um, you know, there are these things. So I think all of the experiences we have in our lives help guide us to where we belong. And yeah. my husband and I wanted to work together. We, I met my husband in my junior year in college and we fell hopelessly in love. And I just wanted to be with him all the time. And I said, let's open a restaurant. Then I could cook all day. I could just make mm. homemade food. Yeah. It's interesting. Like you had this you know, from being a kid on the stoop or, you know, in the neighborhood asking people to come in and to have dinner or when you're a nurse and, you know, wanting to help people. But ultimately, you followed your passion, food, mm-hmm. which helps people, oh, right? Absolutely. And I also, when I thought of becoming a social worker and I found out how little you can really do for people in terms of finances, I thought, I want to open my own business. Then I'll make enough money so that I could do the work I really want to do. My husband always teased me. He would always say, you're a social worker with an apron. He would, he would <laughs> tell everyone that the restaurant was a ruse. So, like, yeah. So b- before we get to that story, what, what did your parents do for work? My mother was a housekeeper. My mother cleaned houses for a living. She was deaf. Well, she had 10% hearing in one ear. Okay. In fact, the beautiful home on the water I live in today is that very house my mother cleaned. Oh, my God. Oh, it's insane. Every time I would drive her there, once I turned 16 years old, I would drive her there instead of her taking the bus. And she would, I would say to her, this is going to be my house one day. And mm. she would laugh. And she would say, then you'd better work hard. So I 
And there and, you are. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I mean, as soon as I had the restaurant, as soon as I became the least bit successful, I said to my mother, tell Mrs. O'Keefe you love her, but she has to get someone else to clean her house. You're coming to work here. Wow. That's amazing. It's and really, so when people say the American dream doesn't exist anymore, I'm like, nah, it's still there. We just have to work hard and follow our path. Exactly. And and what about your father? What did, what did he do for work? My father actually was a disabled veteran, but he was a painter, a very good painter and a very good artist. I mean, we mm. had the weirdest ceilings in our house, like celestial sights and scenes in my, on our ceilings in our bedroom. Very creepy um, at the time. <laughs> you know, the, dark, <laughs> the dark blue, the, the stars, the moon, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, and so he was, he was in the hospital a lot, I have to say. So he wasn't as present as it would have been nice to have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I have three brothers and my mother and I adore my family. My mother passed away um, actually the same year. My husband passed away 11 years ago, but mm. you know, I've just had, I think the best upbringing I could possibly have had. My mother was a sweetheart. And are you the youngest middle? I'm the only girl and I am the second out of four, but my okay. brothers, my younger brothers are twins. Wow. So growing up with all boys. <laughs> yeah. And also I think again, you know, I had the benefit of being poor. So I learned about what it takes to eat well when you don't have money because my mother knew how to cook everything. She stuffed every vegetable. She cooked beans pretty much every day and pastas and had a garden. And I also learned what community was like because we were lucky enough to grow up in a middle-class neighborhood where our neighbors, neighbors were so generous and kind. Mm. And I had an older brother who was gay at a time when it wasn't like it is today. So to every gay person out there, remember, you are standing on the shoulders of those ahead of you. So, so be grateful. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't always the way it is today. Yeah, um, it wasn't, wasn't easy. No, not at all. So, um, And I had that benefit because then I could see and I developed empathy and I knew you know, how to stick up for people. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you came from such a, you know, I, I mean, I picture like these neighborhoods from like the movies, you know, like everybody kind of knew everyone and took care of each other and yes, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, w w with your parents and, and your memories of them, what would you say, I mean, apart from the great food and not eating Chef Boyardee from a can, what, what kind of values did your parents instill in you that you still carry with you today? Oh, my God. First of all, never cheat your stomach and never cheat your feet. Um, <laughs> but the values are honesty, integrity, empathy. My mother's famous words, if I came home and complained about someone, she'd say, what if that was your brother? And I'd say, well, it isn't my brother. She'd say, but it's someone's brother, and it mm -hmm. could be your brother. So start treating them like it's your brother, too. I mean, my mother was, and she was obsessed with honesty, cheating, and, and even name-calling, although I do slip up. Um, she even liked name-calling. My mother was just a good person, and she always believed that. And she was very religious, which allows, if you are, it allows you never to get too big, big for your britches. Mm -hmm. And realize that, you know, there's a famous quote that I keep. I, had, I love it so much that I had it written. I had it hand-painted on the soffit of my restaurant. And that is the only compelling reason why you have been given more food than you need, more love than you need, and more resources than you need is so that you may help those who've been given less. And my mother mm. taught me all of those values. No matter how little she had, if she was eating an onion sandwich because she made sure we had all the other food, she was making sure that there was something to send her neighbor who, did, wow. who didn't cook and didn't have anyone to cook for her, who had the money, but she didn't want to cook, <laughs> you know, but-
yeah. So, I mean, my mother just taught us that. She always taught us. And there's an old Italian saying called a secundent, like turn the other cheek. Yep. And, and, and I would say to my mother sometimes, mom, how many times am I expected to turn the other cheek? And she'd say <laughs> as many times as you need to. Yep. I mean, yep. she just was, and she was also a, it doesn't matter kind of person. Like, you know, if I got annoyed at something, she'd say, honey, does it really matter? Mm. Yeah. I think of my grandmother um, who, who passed away in 2015, her, oh. you know, she, she was, she was born here, but her, her parents came over here from Italy, Sicily, actually. Oh, yes. And, you know, and one of her things with honesty, I remember her telling me, looking at me and just saying, lying is hard work. Just remember that lying is hard work. Mm. You know, and it is, if you think about it, you got to kind of remember what you said. And did I say this? And, you know, it's like, no, forget it. Just tell the truth. <laughs> so Yeah, we say I, we I, say our memories are too short. We could never be good liars. Right, right. Um, okay, so you mentioned, you know, college and all this stuff. You wanted to be with, with your husband. You're madly crazy in love. And you were married in 1975. And then 1976, Claire's opens, right? No, Claire's opens. We were married in February. We were ma- married February 22nd of 1975. Claire's opens that year, September 17th. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yes. so, so you're celebrating, what is it? 40, I'm doing my math. We, 47 we years? years? We're going to be celebrating 47 years in September. Congratulations. Thank you. Insane. I can't even believe. Gone. It's like, how did we get this old? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I always think of when, when um, you know, the first couple times I had been to Claire's, I was like, oh, wow, there's all like organic and kosher and all sorts of different stuff. And I, I, I kind of say this, you know, like you were, or- you were organic before it became a trend. Right. Or a marketing tactic for my, some. That's, right? what, that's what my mother's doing. My mother always said, if it has, like, that's one of the reasons why we barely had any packages in our house. Or I used to tease her that, why do we even have a can opener for for your mm. one cans of tomatoes and paste? That's it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, my mother was a purist. My mother, you know, she was the original, if I can't pronounce it, we don't eat it kind of thing. She's like, what is this stuff? It's all chemicals. That's not food. That's all chemicals. She would always say that. And so she raised us with a very pure. And I also cared a lot about everything. I mean, if you Mm. really care about people, you don't want them having pesticides and chemicals. And I was a big, I was a big fan of, I'm still a big fan of science. I'm like one of those nerds who, instead of reading cookbooks, I was reading pretty much the New England Journal of Medicine. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by that, you know, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. I just, I'm a big fan of lifestyle and health. Yeah. I mean, for, for those who may be food ignorant listening, um, I don't mean that as an insult, but like, you know, what is organic? You know, because some people, oh, it just, if it comes out of the ground, it's organic. I mean, part of that is true, but it's, it's, you know, the soil it's coming from, right? It's no You're right, pesti- but it's like pesticides and chemicals and Roundup and, and genetic modification. I mean, mm. yes, yes, someone, I went to a conference one time and I remember someone saying there is no evidence whatsoever of anyone getting sick from anything genetically modified. And one, some person in the group raised their hand and said, of course there's not. We're the control group. (sighs) And it's so true. I mean, genetic modification, I mean, they changed the genetically modify the plant so that they could, they could live with terrible pesticides that kill everything around them, but keep them alive. So, I mean, that's just, to me, doesn't make sense. And when you look at stories about, you know, glycophate and about, 
you know, BHA and, and just different chemicals. And you look at how they're linked to diseases and cancers and environmental pollution. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, even if you don't care about your own health, care about the farmers who are going to be out, out there working the soil. Yeah. You know, I, the, so whole, it, yeah. the whole thing terrifies me, quite honestly. Yeah. And so, so again, back in 19, we, we only, we start, I remember the first organic items we were able to get really were like grains, like brown rice and then beans. And, but it took a lot of education. I mean, you know, people didn't know what organic meant. So we had to educate them. So I told my staff, I said, any ingredient that has is organic, I want you to write organic in front of it. Let them say it. If they say it, then at least they'll get curious. They'll yeah. act. Yeah, I know. It's like I, I have friends, a lot of friends in Europe, and GMOs are banned. Like they're not a lot, you know, Germany, they, they don't allow them. There's obviously a pit, a, a big push by these companies to, to get these things to be allowed over there, but they're not allowed. You're right. And, and I just think, I, I just sit back sometimes and wonder why, why is it such a challenge to get people to eat right here? And then I money, think about it. Money, and money, 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 right. money. And, and every store and every street corner has like, you know, a fast food or a processed food place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it is, it's harder to eat right <laughs> than, it, you know, here than it is to eat healthy. I think. Without a doubt, anywhere else. I mean, Europe and Europe goes so far ahead of us. They don't. They go beyond organic with something called biodynamic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Which, which is a step which is elevated above organic. So they know it, and they they've done that. But you know, you've got you know you've got you've got the big money. That's you know the the Monsantos of the world, and yeah, they have a lot that. to gain. And unfortunately, you know, we we all want money. I don't want to be poor. I've been poor. I didn't like it. I just right. don't want anybody else to be poor. <laughs> right. You know, or, I mean, or at what cost, right? Yeah, at, at what, what cost are you going to make money? I mean, mm. you, you know, and I'm worried because during this pandemic, we all dumbed down. I mean, at home, I was eating non-organic peppers a couple of times. I was ashamed of myself, but that's all I could get. And I really, I'm like, you know what, guys, I need this. So I yeah. tried to, I tried to eat only non-organic when it's very low pesticide. And the environmental working group has a wonderful dirty dozen and clean 13 kind of group. Yeah. Um, so I try to work within that, but a couple of times I had my deliveries at the house and it didn't come in organic and it was plain peppers. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to use it. I too dumbed down. Yeah. And I, but I think that I'm worried about that because we, we sort of, we were so worried about just getting through the day that I think for most people. So I just, so we're, now we're doing more education at the restaurant again to get people reminded that, you know what guys? We already let the earth go down the tubes with plastics that we use to take out and, you know, all of that, mm. you know, so we have to get back on the program. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I just remember, the, speaking of the pandemic, the summer of 2020, or even just that spring when everything happened and the world shut down, oh. just how, like, there was almost like this peace that came along with it too, apart from being terrified and the unknown and the uncertainty. But I just, I just remember like, you know, going out for a bike ride or something and how blue the sky seemed. And how Oh quiet, God, you are so right. Like six months know, after the pandemic, when the world shut down for like, you know, three months, yeah, the yeah. sky was bluer, the, everything was cleaner. I mean, you didn't see pollution. The first time I went out in my car, first of all, I was like scared to death because there were no other cars around. And I just thought this is too weird. It reminded me of after nine 11, Going yeah. to New York. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. And yeah, so that was pretty scary. But uh, unfortunately, 
it was, I had so much to do during the pandemic that it was just overwhelming. I we were renovating the restaurant and expanding. Tell me about the name because there's a story behind the name of Claire's, right? So you and your husband, that's it. We're, we're opening our own place. We're going to do this. And tell me that story. It was a contest, right? Yes, we had a contest in Jeff Hall. And he still comes to Claire's when he's in town. That He, he and his wife live in oh, what's wonderful. Jeff and Lisa Barca Hall. Uh, they were undergrads at Yale. In fact, okay. they got married in their junior year and yeah, Yale. And they're the nicest couple you ever want to meet with beautiful kids and grandkids now. And anyway, um, Jeff named the restaurant. He named it Corner Copia. Claire's Brilliant. Corner Copia. And here we are. And he won a hot fudge Sunday for him and his three friends for a year, every week. Do you still give it to him when he comes in, though? We don't have ice cream anymore. The only reason I had ice cream was because I needed a freezer and I didn't have the money to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, it was uh, very, very, we were very resourceful. Yeah. No, that's that's fun, right? So it's like, you know, you could have just called, I mean, Claire's, right? I mean, people shortened it today, but the official name, I love it. Just It just makes sense. And it's kind of cool that somebody else came up with it through a contest. Oh. What'd you do that through? Did you just put signage on, you know, asking people when they came in or did you do it through Yale or how did you the do The Yale that? Daily News put it in there. The Yale Daily News were big fans of ours. I mean, we were making smoothies back in 75 and they were telling us that our smoothie drinks could cure a hangover as big as Idaho. Somebody wrote that in the Yale Daily News one time. The mm. kids, the gates weren't open then, so the kids would jump over the fence to come to Claire's. And, yeah, it was a very different place in 1975. You know, we had a, a movie theater down the street that, that played really violent, awful movies. Um, and, you know, there was gates at Yale were locked at the time. Yeah. You know, New Haven was a very different place then. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I go back when I was in the, in the early 90s going out in New Haven. My friends and I would all go to bar, right, on Crown Street. Yes. <laughs> in fact, there was a place, a little watering hole right next to you. I don't know if it's still there. I think it is the Anchor. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. So we would go there first, and then we'd all go dancing at, at bar. But I remember every now and then we'd, we'd need money, so we'd go down to the ATM, um, which was where going towards the Omni. The Omni was shut down. There was nothing there. And then once you got into that area and over towards like Ninth Square, it was all, it was not like it is today. Not at and that's all. only going back to the 90s. So I can only, re I can only imagine like the 70s, just how different it was. It was really frightening. It really was a totally different place. And But once Yale opened their gates, I swear they opened their hearts as well. Yeah. And, no. That was the game changer. That was just... Um, the game changer. But I wanted to be on that corner. When we wanted mm. to open a restaurant, I wanted to be on that corner because the daffodils come up in the spring and the way the light reflects when the sun starts setting, it, it reflects on the, the tower, um, the steeple over at Trinity Church. It's just magnificent. And yeah. that's another reason why we had an open kitchen. I'm like, I don't want the kitchen closed. I want to see all these things. <laughs> so, so you've been at it for 46 years, but from the beginning, what do you remember from like opening up like what was the challenge were you, ter were you terrified or were were you just like okay this this is it let's do it well i'll tell you it's a good thing darn thing that i have a good healthy diet and lifestyle because i swear i would have had high blood pressure because of the stress <laughs> i i think every day for probably 
I don't know, 15, 20 years, I, I, my biggest fear every single day was I wasn't going to have soup ready for lunch, soup and bread ready for lunch. And I, and, until I finally realized the world is not going to end <laughs> if we don't have soup ready by lunch. It will be nice if we do, but it's not going to end. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it took me a long time to get to that point. I was terrified. Um, and the day we opened, it's so funny. My brothers were reminding me a few years ago. They said, do you remember we were all like, we were, we were putting in the final nails on the counters like the few minutes before the place opened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. It was just such a leap of faith. I yeah. mean, it, it was just a leap of faith to say we're opening this restaurant. We're going to open a restaurant with no – well, we actually started with – we started with meat when we first opened. But we were opening a restaurant with homemade food. And within six months, I said, mm, I don't want meat anymore, and I don't want anyone smoking in here because it smells awful. Mm. And we were just – we decided to do everything we wanted to do. And then, you know, the last holdout was tuna. And I finally said, I don't want tuna here either. So we just, we sort of evolved. And now I was, I was speaking to a group at the Yale School of Public Health the other night. And, and one girl said, you're going more and more vegan, aren't you? And I said, oh my God, you've noticed? We're trying to be subtle. <laughs> but, but we <laughs> but make that- changes very quietly, like even reducing salt, although we got a little pushback. We've decided to add a, let, put the salt shakers on the table and let them have it again now. Um, but we, we try to do things that we feel are better for everyone. Mm-hmm. But we try to do it gradually so we don't freak everybody out. But that's like such a, um, I mean, it's a brave thing to have done or a gutsy move to have made because you think, okay, we're going to open a restaurant and we're going to give people everything they want, you know, French fries, burgers, whatever it is. And slowly you eliminated everything, like you said, right down to tuna. So you, you became like almost like a specialty place before those were, 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 trendy and like I said, the organic and vegan places, there weren't many of those back then, but somehow you made it work. You know, we were, it was, it was, it was funny. They just thought we were a bunch of hippies and I'm sure I didn't help any by wearing Birkenstocks and driving a Volkswagen, Mm. but I think they just thought we were a bunch of hippies and, you know, but in the meantime, my mother always told me that the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. And I just felt that it was the right thing to do. I felt like we should have our local farmers, but why? Because the food tastes better when it's fresher. You know, yeah. why Why organic? Because why do you want to pollute the world? You know, we never, ever used styrofoam. And not because I'm so special, but because I knew that it stayed on the earth forever. And I thought, we're not doing that. I mean, we mm. had brown bags instead of bleached white bags from before people thought about it. Yep. But we, we just, it's just doing what you know is right. And I really think that if you do what's right, my mother was right. It's, yeah. it, everybody appreciates it. And again, I mean, my big struggle today is, I mean, I wish everyone could afford our food because our food does cost more money because organic costs more money. And I pay my staff, the, when they've talked about $15 an hour being the minimum, you know, like a fair wage, I'm like, that's, you can't live on $15 an hour. $15 an hour was our minimum wage years ago, like mm. probably 10 years ago. Yeah. And and just because I, I go into work almost every day and say, if I can't do it the way I want to do it, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'll go back to being a nurse is what I used to say. I used to say, if I can't do it the right way, I'm not doing it. I'll go back to being a nurse. I'm I, not going to do it. Yeah. And I see all this coming full circle back to Amalfi because <laughs> – 
when you want tomatoes, you get them out of the garden or you get them from the local farmer who's selling them at the market. And that's what that's one of the things I love about traveling to Italy or Spain or wherever, at, you know, these farmers markets. And you don't I mean, they're there. You have to really look for like the big grocery stores, but they really don't have them. You're right. And and and, and so I guess my question to you is, how do we get Americans to eat better? Oh, oh God, that's that's the million. Where do we begin, right? That's, 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 that's <laughs> a million dollar question. In fact, you know, I think they're they're actually doing some studies to show. In fact, I just got a. I've been getting these emails from surveys. This this actual group in Germany, oddly mm. enough, they're doing a big study on like the impact of like social media and how it impacts how people eat. Like, will it in fact? You know, Kelly Brownell started the Rudd the Rudd Center at Yale many years ago. And he, he took on the soda people and he took on the cereal people and he took them on and he, he, he made people aware and he, I, he did such an awareness campaign. But the, one of the most difficult things is like, okay, broccoli, I'm going to give you broccoli, for instance, broccoli, you, you're not devoted to a brand. Like, yes, you, you know, a grower when you go to the grocery store or whatever, but there's no marketing money for broccoli. Because mm. it's not like the broccoli people are making a ton of money on it. But there's a lot of money in potato chips. There's a lot of money behind processed foods because those are manufactured. And there's a lot of money behind it. So they yep. could promote it. They could advertise it. They could make it cheap. Um, they could and, – and think about it. I mean, you know, there's there's been famous books written on, like, the addiction of fat and salt and sugar. Yep. You know, so – we have to be careful for that. Chef Boyardee got us hooked. Well, not me, but got mainly a lot of us hooked because how lovely to have that sweetness in the sauce. Mm. You know, and, and so I think that how do we get people? I think education is is key. And also, you have to teach. I think knowing what real food tastes like is critical and knowing at a young age. Because if you know the taste of a real tomato, you're going to know when you don't get one. If you taste what a real cake even, and I'm not touting a cake as a healthy food, although we use organic eggs and organic King Arthur flour. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, in, in some weird way, there's nutritional value, and I'm not suggesting that you eat it as a, an entree by any means, but I'm saying that at least it's not devoid of any nutrition like soda. Right. And then if you ask me why I have Coke and Diet Coke in the restaurant, the reason is that I'm not getting into a fight with the graduate students again over it. <laughs> I, I eliminated it, and I got into such an argument, and so it's back. And I will not stick it out again, and so be it. You know, if that's what I have to give up to get them to eat their kale or their organic kale, then that's what I'll do. But um, there you go, there give you and go. take. But you yeah, know, give and take. But I think that education, and also when someone tastes real food, then they they have a bar, then they know. And also education, because a lot of people, a lot of people think that it's normal to have like a little stomachache after you eat. That's so sad because people think that's how you should feel or feel exhausted for whatever reason. And I think that when you start eating well and and walking and, you know, maybe doing yoga, maybe just practicing kindness, you feel better mm-hmm. once you see that. But you have to see it. And I think also in the poorer neighborhoods, you know, there's so much stress. There's so many levels of stress, whether it's violence, whether it's lack of funds, whether it's whatever it is, you know, whether it's just not having safe surroundings. I mean, those all add to stress and those all add to making poor choices. 
you know what, but it, it starts from when you're young. I mean, there was a, there's a very famous study. In fact, I wonder if it's still going on, went on for decades called the Bogalusa study out of Louisiana that, that had thousands and thousands of participants and they followed kids from the time they were like actually in utero to see how diet impacts cardiovascular health. Mm. You know, and then there's that, the ACEs report with the, the um, adverse childhood experience study that talked about like having adverse childhood experiences. Like, you know, your mother gets beaten up, your father gets murdered, your, you know, your grand, you know, obviously we all have stressors. Your grandfather dies, you lose your dog. You know, those are stressors, but the ones that add up so high that you increase your chances of having cancers or cardiovascular disease. I mean, those are all stressors. You know, yeah. if, if you don't have time or the knowledge to cook, like learning how to cook is so important, even if you're never going to cook, but it lets you know what belongs in food. Like, you know, so, it doesn't belong in your ravioli if you've made it. So what's the one thing you would suggest to anyone out there who wants to make a simple, healthy meal or a snack or, or, or what? What's the easiest thing somebody can make that's, that's good for them that you would recommend? Oh God. I mean, this isn't even making anything. Take an apple and cut it up and put peanut butter on the slices and eat it when you're hungry. I mean, you, you, you need, you need food inside your, you need fresh food inside your house to be able to make those choices. If you have a bag of potato chips and you don't have a bag of apples, organic apples, because they're very high in pesticide residue, might not add, um, you, then you're, then you don't have that option. You know, right. you just don't. So you need fresh food in your house. Like when you go to the grocery store, pump yourself up, you know, let yourself know my body deserves better than this. Let me try it. And it takes time. I mean, you can't go from having a totally junk diet to eating really healthy and not having pushback. Right. Right. You know, but even if one day a week you say one day a week, I'm going to eat healthy. Yeah. I, customers are coming and say that all the time. They say, I can't tell you how much better I feel young people. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, okay. So that's the lesson a awareness and get, get some granny Smiths and stay away from the Doritos. <laughs> well, I mean, or have Doritos have their place. Save them for when you're watching the Super Bowl. Right, right. You know, but don't have them every day. I mean, when you have a, a cheat, you know, a snack, have you could have yourself a cheat. But yeah. you know what I like to say? A, you could have, there's always room for indulgences in a healthy diet, but there's no room for a healthy diet that's filled with indulgences. Mm. So true. I love that. I'm going to write that down after. <laughs> and put it on my chalkboard outside the kitchen. Okay. So I want to learn more about you as a person, the choices, the things you do that make you who you are. This is a little bit of a chapter change for us. Um, take us through your daily routine. What, what, what does Claire do when she gets up? Are you an early morning person? Are you best later in the day? I'm an early morning person. I, I get up early in the morning. Well, usually my cat makes sure of that. Miss Kitty jumps on the bed and wants her head petted um, early in the morning. So I'm up fairly early, but I just, I, I have, I like to keep, I keep all these cute sayings all around my mirror so that the, as soon as I look in the mirror in the morning to get up and, you know, take my allergy pill this time of day, this time of year, um, I read, you know, I just, I have all my little things like my famous, my favorite Margaret Mead quote about never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Mm. Oh, and then I have another give, give to every human being, every right that you claim for yourself. You know, that's a Robert Ingersoll one, you know, and never be afraid to own what you've accomplished. And then, but I know somehow that only when it's dark enough, can you see the stars? 
Martin Luther King, you know, and then I have a wonderful quote, a guy who was my assistant at a food event wrote, may light surround you with every heartbeat and may you remain so luminous that you never lose your way. Mm. Those are things that I look at to remind me, but also i I mean, I pray, I meditate, I get on the treadmill and I have my cappuccino before hey. I even start. And then I check email. I like checking email in the morning, never at night because I, I don't, if it, there's something stressful, I don't want to go to bed with that on my mind. Mm-hmm. I always keep a pad and pen on the side of my bed because if I get up in the middle of the night with a thought, instead of letting it go through my mind, I write it down and then I go back to sleep. Yeah. So um, instead of thinking about it to remember it, it's written down. down. It's written and, down and then it's out of your mind and you know that you can go on. Yeah. And then I just, I like a calm morning, but what's happened lately is all my friends, <laughs> all my friends know that I'm an early person. So now the phone starts ringing at like seven o'clock in the morning Yeah, and I'm like, you guys are bad. So, I mean, and then I go, and then it depends. I mean, what day of the week it is. And then I get ready for work. I always make a list mm-hmm. of what I want to do for the day. I have a list every day. That's um, organized. I have to be. You know, yeah. I have just so much, you know, it takes a lot to run a business, even though I have the best help on the planet. I have the best staff. I'm, I'm sure to a couple people, though I just hired two people. So I'm very excited. Really nice people. But um, I just, I have a girl out on maternity leave, one of my stars. But I have, we, we tease that we may not have enough help, but we have the best help. Mm. I couldn't do what I do. My staff are so happy and wonderful and kind and generous and and our customers are the same way. And, you know, do we have our troubles? Yes, we do. Um, you know, we have supplies have been difficult getting lately. Um, so I, I sourcing things takes an enormous amount of time for me. Um, so I go in the restaurant. I usually try to get in the restaurant by nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I sh- sometimes eight thirty if I know I have a big day, but then I stay until probably it depends. I'm usually home by six or six thirty, um, and you know I get into the restaurant and I usually we have a laugh or two about something or another, and then we and then I inspect the everything, and then I go over with our floor manager. You know what's up. You know I usually tell them what's happened. You know what 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 are we low on? What are we out of? What do we need to do? Mm-hmm. You know what's going to make us happy today, and we we have we usually have yogurt, special yogurt, French yogurt, and ice cream Mondays because the weekends are so crazy busy. Um, so we have everybody decides what kind of ice cream they want, and we usually order Haagen ice cream, and everybody gets like a pint or quart of ice cream to take home. There you go. Yeah, no. and then we have this French yogurt that is ridiculously delicious. That will we have on Mondays too to get us through the day. So you, you do meditation. Do, how, how often do you meditate? Do you do like, like 15, 20 minute sessions every day? Oh no, I do like a five minute. Yep. In, fact, in fact, I have a kind of a cute funny card that says, I know I should be meditating, but as I'm meditating, I'm thinking, um, I can't <laughs> believe how much I have to do today. Um, I can't believe I'm wasting time meditating when I have yeah. this to do. Um, but I, I just, I really just bring myself into nature. Like I, I love waterfalls and I love anything water related. Yeah. So I bring myself to this place in the Catskills where there's a waterfall and I'm usually afraid of the woods because I don't like bugs and I don't like the thought of bears or God forbid psychopaths in the top of the mountain waiting to kill you. <laughs> the mountain um, man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, but I will go into the woods for a waterfall. Yeah. So that's where I bring myself. I bring myself to the woods, um, walking on the path and 
I hearing the waterfall and seeing the waterfall. I can almost see it now. Uh, that's great. But that's perfectly natural to, to have those thoughts. I say that because um, I've meditated for a while. I fell off the wagon. I got to get back on it. But, um, you know, it's like, wait, I have all these thoughts. But I guess the, the act of just cl- not necessarily clearing your mind, but just kind of disconnecting from everything, it, it, it's okay, right? Prayer does that for me too, though, I have to say. I'm Yes, yeah. yes, it does. Prayer yeah. does that for me too, because then you're sharing, for me, I'm sharing the burden. And sometimes I just put it out to God. I'm like, you know what? Mm. This is what's happening, and I'm going to follow whatever I have to do. So I will tell you a quick story. I do a lot of mountain biking um, up and around the reservoirs here in West Hartford and stuff. Ooh. And I have had several bear encounters, so... It's a little scary, but nothing that's ever, nothing that, well, the first time saw one, it was like, oh, wow, there's a bear. What do I do? And so you just kind of make, you make noise, you yell at it and it runs off. You know, you don't want to spook them. The worst case scenario would be flying down the trail and coming around a corner and, you know, running into like mama bear and her babies, right? That, that's what you don't want to do. So So even as you, well, Usually I'm riding with somebody and we're talking and stuff. So they'll hear you and they'll, okay. they'll, they'll kind of avoid you. But if I'm riding alone, which I generally don't like to do, um, I must look like a crazy person in the woods on my bike because, you know, I'll whistle or I'll just yell, you know, make some noises so that like they can hear me. Um, Cause you know, you're generally, you're pretty quiet on a bike going. No, you're right. This. Yeah. God. So, but anyways, it's, it's, it's a little scary, but it's not as, it, it's kind of like afterwards, you're like, wow, that was majestic. I can't believe I saw one of those things. What would you say that your leadership style is like? My mother, again, back to my mother, iron hand kid gloves. You know, people who know me, well know that I'm a really good business leader, but people mm-hmm. who don't know me well think like even a friend of mine, I, I have a new, a newer friend. And he said, I worry that people will take advantage of you. And I said, and he said, and he told my brother that same thing. He said to my brother, I'm worried that Claire will be taken advantage of because she's just so nice to everyone. And my brother said, don't worry about my sister. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> do, you do not need to worry about my sister. I assure you. Mm. And I just, you know what? I just try to be the best person I could be and try to surround myself with the best people. And if they're not, then they don't stay in the circle. But my, my leadership style, I'd have to say in work is I try to put everything out there and I listen to people. I, I love everyone's, I, I want, I love consensus. I'm a very consensus, consensus oriented person. I want people to agree on something mm-hmm. and I, and I do a very democratic Mostly. I mean, there are a few times like yesterday, I finally said, Ashley, just do it. Just do what I said. I said, we could stand here arguing over it all day, but this is what I think we should do now. And I've been here 46 years and you've been here three years. So we need to do what I'm saying. And we could talk about it later. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of what it came down to. And then afterwards, you know, she said, you were right. It did work better. And I said, sometimes experience matters. You know, I said, and sometimes it doesn't, which is why sometimes I, you know, defer to you. You know, so it, you have to, I think just listening to people and realizing that you kind of have to meet people where they're at. You know, everyone's had different experiences. And at Claire's, there is no, we're like a patchwork. 
There is no one person who does every single thing, but together we are unstoppable. Mm. I have one person who's amazing. Like Erin is my brain. Erin is my, she's my Frank. And she says she married Claire. Claire so I always tell her I'm very sorry. But um, <laughs> because I'm very, oh my God, let's do this. I'm very easily excited. I say, oh my gosh, let's get this. Oh my gosh, we should try this. And Aaron is, where are we going to put it? Aaron's mm-hmm. answer is, where are we going to put it? How much is it going to cost? So we have a balance, you know, and then, you know, Ashley will say, I think we should start breaks at this time today because of this. And I'll say, sure, why not? Or I'll say, you know what? I don't have a lot to do. I'll come up if you want. So we, you know, we go back and forth. So I think, but everybody has their like Rosie, who's on maternity leave now. Nobody's more organized than Rosie. And she keeps us in line for that. You put any, she'll find out if you've put something back in the wrong place. And why is that so important? Because when you're busy and you're stressed already, having to look for something matters. Mm-hmm. And also, I think our team love that we get to help the community. I mean, we, we're probably known as much for our philanthropy, maybe even more than we are for our food at the restaurant. And that's, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Yeah, I was looking on your website. You support so many causes throughout the community. We're lucky we can. We, and we can only do that because our customers support us. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And, you know, I was going to ask, and maybe this is tied into it, um, if you retired tomorrow, what accomplishment would you be most proud of? Oh, God. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You mean which accomplishment in Claire's? Because Claire's would be, I have to say, Claire's is just, we talk about that all the time. I'm like, guys, this place has to go on forever. And they agree. I mean, my managers always, they say this, it absolutely does. I mean, just yesterday, a lady came in and she bought a cake and had us write on it, um, be kinder than necessary with the hashtag because that's one of, that's our hashtag. And um, she, in fact, we have it painted on the soffit in the restaurant. Um, but, but she told the story of how her friend fell in love with this place when she was at Yale and how this was sort of the place she came to when she needed community or this is a place. It's, it's just that kind of a place and, and I'm so proud of it. You know, that said, I adore my family. I love my brothers. I love the children. I mean, I have a three-foot statue for being the best sister in the world, and I'm sure it's because I've helped with their children. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but Claire's is just a wonderful place. Claire's is, is more than a restaurant. It's, it's a philosophy. It's a community. It's, it's a gathering place. It's, it's a place where a lot of good comes. You know, yeah. we, we, we generate a lot of, I mean, whether we're, I mean, asking our customers, we need backpacks for kids in foster care and get so many that we have to get a van. Or now we're doing a hygiene poverty program with the Yale Child Study. And we actually have a closet now there at, at the study that's we're keeping an inventory and it's filled so kids who come there could, because maybe this little level of stress, like not having a Band-Aid, not having shampoo, not having soap. Mm. You know, we don't think about, we privileged people don't think about that. But for a child, and we've, we've heard this, I mean, we've heard this from psychiatrists, we've heard this from kids who've worked at my restaurant who were brought up in very harsh conditions, who said, you have no idea how stressful it is not to have a bar of soap. You have no idea how stressful it is to know that you can't brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we don't even think about those things. So we decided that this might be one of those low levels of stress that we could help work on. And so you're doing this 
not through your nursing degree or your nursing studies, but through food, right? Well, and, exactly. <laughs> well, through community because of and through community, you know, right? Which has opened the door to community, or the community has opened its door to you, or both ways. Well, you know what it is. Everybody wants. Everybody who could help wants to help. They just don't know how to help. And if mm. you say to someone, "Give an actionable thing," like if you say, "We need these are the personal care items we need." And actually, what we're doing now is we've we had a little closet at the restaurant to collect things, and we tons of them. I mean, I if I and now we have an Amazon a, Q, a QR code where Amazon and it's on our Facebook page, and it's certainly on the Yale um, Child Study. Um, mm-hmm. You go to the QR code, and you could send things through Amazon right to this child study, so we can keep this going. And um, and that's what we do. But you know, we 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 tithe, so we give ten percent of our profits to charity anyway. But we go so far beyond it, and I just. You know, we had three good news stories of people who deal with us, who who do business with us, who had cancer, but they, thank God, beat it. And so for those three good wishes, my, my office manager said, why are we upping the sponsorship this year for this organization? And I said, because we've had three blessings, yeah, three extra big blessings. So we have to. So it, it's amazing, you know, the community aspect and, and all of the accomplishments you've had. But um, I want to talk about failure and it might sound like a crazy question, but do you have a favorite failure of yours? And what I mean by that is, you know, is there something you were so sure of, it failed miserably, but there was an incredible lesson learned at the end? Oh, wow, that's an excellent question. Okay, so I've had a funny failures, um, and that would be grabbing the vanilla, the pure vanilla, instead of the soy sauce one day in a sauce and customers loving it and saying, oh my God, what was in it? It was so amazing. I'm like, you will never have that here again. <laughs> vanilla costs like hundreds of dollars <laughs> right right so you will never have that again so get that taste out of your mouth um and so i guess that was a funny failure but i don't know i guess and i don't know if they're failures because i the lesson i learned wasn't as what it should have been like a couple of times i hired people who probably weren't ready to be hired people who were coming out of bad situations mm. who i wanted to take a chance on um, but I don't think those were failures. They they might have been failure immediately, but it wasn't going to change the way I did things. Um, because maybe the person wasn't ready at the time. But I don't know. I mean, we're pretty cautious with things, even though we, I mean, we do flighty, goofy things, but it might be more like, you know, trying a rhubarb dish that is a little goofy and nobody wants it. Um, but I don't know. I can't. I mean, we have plenty of failures, like we forgot to order something or, uh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, but those are, you know, those things happen, right? And yeah, they're, they're hiccups, they're bumps in the road. So how do you work around that? Just roll with the punches? I, I really think so. You know, I there's a lot to be said for like pre-warring about things and we don't ever let like a failure in the past. Like, let's say we tried something. I'm trying to think of what we tried. I don't know. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm sure we have lots of little failures, but mm. in all honesty, we kind of, we have a big team, but I think it's because of my desire for consensus. Like I ask so like oh, my friends will say to me, why do you ask everyone before you make a decision, make the decision? I'm like, because I'm not making the decision. It's why I ask a lot of people. Because yeah. I want everyone's input and everyone's idea, and then that we could formulate the right idea more closely by having that. I don't know about big failures. I guess I wish I wish I could say that. I mean, I learn lessons all the time, and lessons I learned were 
you know, like my friend told me when I was starting to do, I was, I volunteered with children in the CASA program, the court appointed special advocate program in New Haven. In fact, I'm back with Connecticut CASA helping now as well, which is a wonderful organization. Um, Josiah Brown is a God, he's a saint um, and a very good administrator for helping children in foster care. But I think that, you know, maybe, I don't know if it was a mistake. I don't know. I don't know if it was a mistake, not like sometimes I'll, I'll volunteer for things. Mm-hmm. And the, I always say there are two kinds of people, the ones who make a commitment and then blow it off or the person who makes a commitment and then kills himself to fulfill it. I fall in that category. So I guess, and I don't know if it's even a failure, but it's an area that I need to improve on. Mm. I tend to bite off more than I really should be chewing. And then it, and then I have like no personal life sometimes. Yeah. There's sometimes, you know, there's this, well, I don't know if you call it a movement, but you know, there's a lot of talk about it um, in business communities and personal development and things like that. You know, it's okay to say no. Right. And, and setting boundaries. I'm the same way. I, I say yes to a lot of things, but I've learned to say no to more things. And, and it's like made me happier, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think I think saying yes to the things that are really like, you know, saying yes to the things that are really important to you. Yeah. And then saying no, you know, to the other things maybe. But sometimes, I mean, there's so many opportunities that are so much fun, you know, yeah. like like taking a night to speak with the School of Public Health. I know that these are kids who are going to be running our future for public health. And that's important and yeah. exciting and inspiring. Yeah. So I took the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a friend who has a saying, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, so I guess that's, I don't know if it's a failure or not, but I mean, we're really careful about yeah. having time off for our, my team. Yeah. And, and even myself. So I'm better, I'm trying to be better with that. And I, that, that could be a failure and I'm getting caught up in it a little bit now again. So I have to tweak myself and go back to my sister-in-law's recommendation Kathy told me to make an X on certain days in my calendar mm. and make an X because then when someone calls and says, can you help me do this? I can say, I can't that day. Right. I'm booked. I'm booked with yeah, me. I'm <laughs> having fun. I'm having a booking with myself. Yeah, no, that's good. And that's important. But, um, okay. So this is kind of related and might sound a little, little crazy as well, but what, what do you think is like a good, what's the one good thing that came out of the pandemic for, for you. And, and by that, I mean, are there any kind of lessons or things from the pandemic that you'll take with you throughout life? Well, you know, we, we called it, we had, a, we had, we, I took everyone out for lunch a few weeks ago. We all went out for lunch and I said, I want you to bring one thing with me, with you when you come, I want you to tell me what the silver lining was from the pandemic. Mm. Like what were silver linings from the pandemic? And I think a silver lining for me was that I was able to I put a lot of my, a lot of my husband passed away, my mother passed away the same year, and I just was I think I was holding that like I wasn't like I kept the clothes in the closet. I kept mm-hmm. literally moved them three times t- to come back home and brought all his clothes. And it's things like that and I I kept the furniture that I needed to replace for years, but I just kept saying, well, you know, this is the furniture we bought when we were together. And for me, realizing that memories are in your heart and not in necessarily tangible things. So that for me, I had a lot of time to think about that. 
And I also had a lot of time to reflect on how lucky I was to have the support I had during the pandemic. I mean, I had a group of women, friends, we call ourselves the gaggle, and they helped me through the pandemic with ideas. They're all from different career backgrounds, all Mm -hmm. women, and they would help, we would help each other with any issues we had going on. But for me, obviously the expansion and the renovation was huge and how to make my staff safe and how I can learn everything about the virus to make the environment, you know, better for preventing the virus from spreading. Yeah. So I think that, um, so it just, it just reminded me of how much I really appreciate my people, you know, and, and how much I appreciate hugs and smiles because I miss that more than anything. Yeah. No, I know. Once it was like time to like hug people and stuff like that and see people, it was like, oh, wow, you know, I need this. <laughs> oh, but, it reminded us all how much, but, but yeah, and how lucky we really are. Yeah. I've, I've had warm houses to be in. You know, I was wash, I was doing laundry one day and I said, how could I have so much laundry for one person who isn't even going to work? And I stopped <laughs> myself and I said, shut up. I said, you ungrateful wench. And I'm having this conversation with myself, with my cat watching. And I said, you have a washer and dryer in your, right in your house. You could have to take a rock down to a river. Right. Or not even wash the clothes. Great. It was a perfect attitude adjustment for me. So you have this saying, you you mentioned it earlier, be kinder than necessary, which is amazing. I love it. Where, Where did that come from? Many, many years ago, I saw it somewhere and I said, if only we could. Mm. And and I can't even tell you how much good has come out of that because, I mean, I got a phone call several years ago from a a guy who said, my friends and I were all, we were Yale students and we were all hung out in Claire's and we're still very good friends. And one of the men in the group's wife just died and she was a teacher and in her room, she had that saying on her wall. Mm Mm-hmm. And she, and he said, and I know your coffee mugs say that. He said, could I get a dozen coffee mugs sent to me? And I want to give them to each of them. And and then I met with some, and then the guy came in because now his son and his nephew are here at Yale. And he came in about maybe, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, six months ago. I have no idea. Time evaporates. And he said, you probably don't remember me, but I'm, and I just felt like I knew who it was. I said, oh my God, are you the guy with the mugs? And he said, how do you know? And I said, I don't know, just guessing. And (laughs) I'm telling you, he said, I am. And I said, oh, my God. And he said, I think we're onto something with this. There should be some kind of a movement. And I said, why not? So it's so true because we all want to be happy. Yeah. And I think power and our, our fear for lack of abundance is what gets in the way of being kinder than necessary. Mm. I just do. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I get annoyed sometimes too when someone like, sure, like it won't let you go in the lane, and you're like, oh great, so you can be one car length ahead of me, you know. And I'm I'm not abnormal in that way, <laughs> <laughs> but I I get that. But for yeah. the most part, for the most part, we need to. I mean, if we do that, imagine how much happier we'll all be. Oh yeah. I mean, nothing. Look, you know, nothing goes or what's I forget the saying, but like, you know, a smile goes a long way or just a simple hello or, you know, um, it it just goes a long way. But you said, why not? You know, with, with, when you were telling the story of the guy with the mugs and, um, I've been saying this a lot, another saying for you, turning, 
you know, turn, let's turn what if into why not. Huh. Right? So You're it's right. like, instead of wondering like, oh, what if we did this or what if we did that? Well, just why not? Let's just do it. So well, it's taking too. away the fear. It's taking yeah. away the fear. And, and we do that at Claire's all the time. It's like, well, let's try it. Mm. If we, if it doesn't work, we don't do it again. So I have a couple more okay. quick, quick questions left for you. You've been super generous with your time, which I appreciate. Um, this is enjoyable. You're just making me think about all the blessings I have. Yeah, no, I know. And it's like, and, and you're making me think of mine. So it's like reciprocal. So I appreciate it. Um, Okay, I imagine over the 46 years in, in the restaurant, 46, 47 years in the restaurant business, you've had, you know, quite a few interesting or famous people come through your doors. Do you have a particular funny or surprising story you'd like to share? Is there anything that stands out? Oh, let's see. Well, I used to, I loved that I heard from someone, a hairdresser who comes in, who said Meryl Streep used to talk about us when she was at school. Hmm. Um, and her daughter actually came to Claire's all the time when she was at school of drama. Um, but I guess I love that Vivek Murthy, who's our surgeon general, he came for our 40th anniversary, 40th or 45th, 40th or 45th anniversary, actually 40th, I think he came, he was going to be in Hartford and he, he had written on Twitter that he couldn't wait to have a piece of Lithuanian coffee cake. And I I tweeted back to him and said, how do you know Lithuanian coffee cake? And he said, Claire, I was in I was in medical school there. I was in Claire's all the time. In fact, I think his I think he got engaged in Claire's. So oh, wow. Yes. And I guess I don't know about famous people, but we had a wedding in Claire's. Mm. Um, two women came in and they still come in all the time. They had their wedding in Claire's and they brought a tablecloth and they had everyone who was present sign it and then they embroidered it. And this tablecloth comes every anniversary and they come to every anniversary. They come to Claire's. That was one of my favorite stories. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, so we've had proposals, wedding, marriage proposals happen in the restaurant. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've had like movie stars coming into Claire's and um, I guess who was in, oh, what is his name? Oh, Clint Eastwood. Was it Clint Eastwood? I mean, we've had very famous people coming into Claire's like movie stars and I usually have to tell my staff, please let them eat. You know, don't yeah don't stare at them don't stare at them please let them eat because they're just like anyone else yeah Conan, no, O'Brien, I know. Conan O'Brien came in a few months ago to bring his daughter at Yale and it was so funny because um he he was so nice like I didn't recognize him because I don't really watch Conan O'Brien but everybody went berserk and mm. then when they told me I said oh my gosh of course I know that name he's a night show guy yeah. and um and it was so he he was just so kind and polite and could not have been nicer and his wife too. And they came in, thanked us and talked about how good the food was and how they knew their daughter was going to be coming here. And I just thought, you know what? People are just people. And also I believe unless you're God, you know what? We all fall in the same below God status. Mm. So yes, we've had, um, I wish I could even think of names of people who came. Oh my God. Vincent Price was probably my favorite years ago. He used to come for the Edgar Allan Poe Society events a million years ago. And he was probably the most interesting of all of them. But Art Carney used to come in and years ago. And um, who is the guy? Oh, gosh, I should remember his name. He used to reach under the counter and grab cookies all the time. Um, I think he was in. He's very famous. I can't remember his name. I don't know. 
Yeah. Or, well, you've had a lot of people come through there. So, um, and, and being next to Yale drama school and stuff. So that's, I, it, it's just, I've worked in the restaurant business and it's always exciting when, um, you know, whether they're locally famous or world famous, they come in. It's just, I don't know, it adds that like element of excitement, as I say. Um, yeah. But if you, if you were to give yourself, it, it, let me rephrase that. If you were to give your 18 or 21-year-old self some advice, knowing what you know today, what would it be? Don't worry. Things always work out. I mean, we, we always find a way to make things work. Mm. Because I always stressed over so much. You know, oh, my God. Like, things that are unimportant. I mean, does it really matter if you don't have one item on your menu one day? And that's one thing the pandemic taught us. You really can live without, I don't know, the exact kind of organic greens you want and settle for the other organic greens that aren't quite as crispy, don't have quite as interesting a combination. <laughs> right. You know, or you don't need to freak out because you can't get rhubarb immediately. And these kind of things, I know it sounds insane, but we stress over. It's like, oh, my God, we didn't make this yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also it's okay to make mistakes. Like we, this year, I don't think anybody ate matzah and I have no idea why during Passover. Mm. But in the meantime, we have a bunch of matzah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to come down for some. I, we're okay. gonna, yeah, that's it. But I, I don't, you know what? Just don't stress the little things because they work out. Okay, so this is the final question. Um, I listened to a podcast on NPR that I really enjoy. Um, the host is Guy Raz. And he always asks this question, and I'm stealing it, borrowing it, inspired by it, whatever you want to say. So I'm going to ask the same thing. How much of your success has been pure luck, and how much is it from your leadership and sheer brilliance? Oh, God, it's absolutely luck. So many times being in the right place at the right time. I mean, my cookbooks, you know, someone, I was always writing recipes and someone came in and said, have you ever thought of writing a cookbook? And I said, well, actually, I'm going to leave to try to write one. And they're like, who's your publisher going to be? And I said, I have no idea. I'm going to go to the library and see all of this. And the next day I have a message on my phone from someone from Penguin Books saying, I understand you have a manuscript, which I didn't have. I had a bunch of recipes. But um, I mean, things like that. I mean, just craziness. I mean, it's crazy how things like that happened to me. Um, you know, another, when I was, and then Bernie Siegel used to always come to Claire's and he, he started um, this wonderful cancer program for, for patients. And he called me one day right after I was going to write this cookbook and said, I have, um, I have a business opportunity. He said, my son wants to start this business. I can't think of anyone else better than you. Do you want to do it? And I said, oh, Bernie, I'd love to be part of this, but I have this book I now have to do, and I don't think I could do both. And he's like, oh my gosh, who's your agent? I said, I don't have an agent. He said, don't sign anything yet. I'll get you an agent. The next thing I know, I'm in New York interviewing agents, and that's unheard of. They wow. interview you. So here I am in New York interviewing agents. Amazing. I mean, just things like that. So I think that, again, it's the path. If you are open to a path and you follow it, you are more successful and happier. Mm. I think that's a great place to leave off. Any final words? Just thank you so much. And just, you know what? Just enjoy life and do things that make you happy. And be kinder than necessary. And then you for sure will be happy. There we go. Some great words to live by. Thank you so much, Claire. 
Derek, thanks a lot. You have a wonderful day. And there we have it, my friends. That's Claire Criscuolo on the show. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I sure did. I'm hungry, but I want to make sure that whatever I make going forward is not only delicious, but it's good for my body. I think that's the lesson I'm taking from this show. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Claire, her books, the cornucopia, or even better, visit it and eat something, check out claire'scornucopia.com. Upfront is brought to you by Mason, an integrated brand communications firm located in Southern Connecticut that provides communications ingenuity through advertising, public relations, social media, digital, and media services. To learn more about us, visit mason23.com or send an email to hello at mason23.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Take care.